Okay, so welcome to this next episode of InfoSec Journeys. We are super excited today to be joined by Dr. Jessica Barker, uh, someone who Ashley and I really admire within the industry. Thank you for taking the time to join us, Jess. We've got loads to cover today. Uh, obviously, we've got your, your book launch upcoming about cybersecurity uh, and, and uh, building the foundations of your career. I'm really excited to kind of uh, peel that back more and find out more about um, why you wrote the book and the content and all the rest of it. Uh, you're a big player in the media. We really want to cover the kind of things you talk about, why you get into that space as well, which is uh, really a fascinating part of uh, of your um, the, the culture that you bring to information security and all of the stuff you got involved. I, you, you run so many different organizations and you're involved in different... Uh, we, honestly, we've got so much stuff to cover. I'm really, really excited. Um, why don't we throw over to just uh, give us a brief introduction into who you are, what you're all about, uh, and, and introduce yourselves to our, our audience today. Sure. Thanks so much. First off, I want to say thank you uh, for welcoming me to the podcast. I love the podcast because I'm really keen on helping people understand more about cybersecurity and understand about the different roles and how we all get into it and stuff like that. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I, my main sort of day job in cybersecurity is as a co-CEO of Cygenta, a cybersecurity company I set up with my husband a few years ago. And we've got a team working on the technical, physical and human sides of cybersecurity. So I work primarily on awareness, behavior and culture with our clients. And I've always worked on those kind of issues with security, always been focused on people, how we can help people understand security better, how we can empower them with feeling more confident, feeling more able, understanding what they have to do and practicing those behaviors. I also am the chair of Club CISO. Club CISO is a private members forum. We have just over 400 members now um, who are information security leaders. So CISO or equivalent. And it's basically a place for our members to get together to talk about security. Um, I think CISO is a very challenging role and sometimes you know, you can be a little bit on your own in an organization. So it's a great place for our members to be able to share experiences, ideas, challenges, successes, um, and resources. And I work with an amazing advisory board um, and sponsor with Telstra Purple um, on Club CISO. And as you've mentioned, I'm also the author of the upcoming book, Confident Cybersecurity, which I'm really excited about. Um, so I'm yeah happy to talk about anything and everything to do with security. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, we'll definitely link the uh, the book in the description of this video as well. Um, I, I guess um, that something you mentioned there about Club CISO, about it, it can be a lonely place to CISO world in a very challenging kind of environment and stuff. Is that is that one of the reasons why you got involved? Have you experienced that kind of thing yourself uh, within um, the CISO space that you've interacted with or...? Yeah, I mean, I've never been a CISO, um, but I work with a lot of CISOs and um, it's a it's a theme. I mean, I don't know if lonely is the quite the right word, but there's a lot of responsibility placed on a CISO. And, you know, you're leading a team, you have a lot of responsibility, you're liaising with the board. You maybe don't have the power or the influence in an organization that, that you'd like. And so sometimes it can be a challenging position to be in. And it's something we hear time and again with Club CISO is actually having that network of people who get it, 
you know, who are in the same position, who who face the same stuff, or who have maybe been there and overcome some of the challenges you're facing and can give you some advice. That's, I think, what our members would say is the most valuable part of Club CISO. That's really interesting. So we've spoken to a few um, CISOs on this podcast or uh, this netcast uh, recently, and it's very been very much the same theme that you know, from the outside, the job looks easier, but when you do the job, it's really difficult. Uh, and then I assume to, to others, it's, it's you don't want to almost admit failure to probably your other peer CISO. So it is, it is a nice community that you get involved in there. Um, do you think your natural curiosity in people kind of helps you with being the chair of Club CISO? Yeah, I think a mixture of sort of curiosity in people and, you know, what drives people. Also, um, it sounds really cheesy, but I really like to help people. I think it takes a while sometimes in life to work out what is the thing that drives you? What is the thing that gets you out of bed and that gets you through difficult days? And for me, it is definitely hearing from someone that I've helped them. Um, It took me a while to realize that that's the theme throughout everything I've enjoyed in my life. And so I guess that's part of it as well with Club CISO it's bringing people together. I might not directly help, but the, the role of the advisory board is to shape Club CISO into a stronger community. And knowing that community is, is there for people when they might be stressed or facing challenges, that's a really rewarding feeling. Okay. Yeah, definitely a really cool community um, that I follow along with. Uh, and I know a few members as well, um, and they, they definitely echo what you're saying. So it's, uh, it's really nice to hear uh, from yourself kind of what that strategy and mindset is behind the, uh, uh, the whole community there. Fantastic. Talk yeah. to us a bit about Sygenta then. You said you set it up with your husband a few years ago. So you got FC, right? Freaky Clown. <laughs> He's obviously got his own persona going on, and we've heard him on Dark Neck Diaries as well. So definitely check yeah. that out if, uh, if you're interested. So, so how did it come about then? Where, what was the driver uh, for, for setting up a business within the cybersecurity space? Well, I was working freelance. Um, I had been for a few years, and I, I guess I felt like I wanted to have a bit bigger impact than just working on my own. Um, And we were having a lot of conversations about the cybersecurity kind of industry. I think because because I come from the human side and FC, his background is in ethical hacking, but also in physical pen tests. So our conversations about security were always about people, about tech and about physical stuff. And we kind of felt like that was not, um, there was not a, a, an organization or a company that really pulled those three together in the way that we saw them. So we kind of thought, okay, <laughs> let's try and do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where Sygenta was born. And to be honest, because we met through our work, we've always talked a lot about security. It's, um, you know, our work is part of our relationship always has been. And so it, it, in hindsight, it's just a natural progression that we would go into business together. I mean, that's that's you know, to, to be fair, you're the first person, um, probably that I know of, where both in a relationship, both parties work in information security. Like, so how do you how do you switch off? Because you know, I I, I don't. I sit I sit on Twitter <laughs> and LinkedIn, like reading stuff day in day out, and there's both of you doing probably doing exactly the same thing. Like, so how do you not? participate in cybersecurity or do you just find it difficult like you just can't do it at all 
It's a challenge and I'm sure everyone in security feels this challenge as well. You've hit the nail on the head really, Ashley. Like a lot of us will be consuming a lot of information, sharing a lot of information. It is a fast pace, um, this this field. So so yeah, we do we do work a lot. Also running a small business, it's inevitable um, that you're going to work a lot. So we do work a lot, we do think a lot about work, we talk a lot about work and about security in general, but we have learned over the last few years to consciously switch off. So to put our phones away. Um, if we find ourselves talking about work, you know, when we're having dinner or at a time where we wouldn't necessarily want to talk about work. One of us will just say to the other, should we talk about this tomorrow? Should, <laughs> should we schedule a meeting to go over this? <laughs> yeah. um, so we try and put boundaries around it, but at the same time, we both love what we do. So mm. we enjoy talking about, about work and, uh, and being able to share that with one another, we realize it's, it's a privilege. That's fantastic. Um, I know. Yeah, when yeah, when yeah. I talk to my wife about reverse engineering malware, she closes down very quickly. I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we've all we've all done that. Like with my friends, you know, I I get that as well. Um, where sometimes they're like, "Yeah, Jess, we get it, fishing." Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but also as well, you touched on there. I mean, it, it's a it's a small business, right? That you run yourself, so it's not all about the infosec side of things. You've got like accounts to worry about the the kind of you know all of the taxes stuff and all, you know, all the businessy kind of running stuff to worry about. As well, which I guess is, um, you know, another part of, uh, you know, being involved in any business, but also information security side of things. You've got, you know, you want to win new clients and you want to, um, you know, generate business and execute, you know, whatever you do for a living. But then you've got all of this stuff in the background you've got to worry about as well. That must be quite, quite challenging indeed on your time. Yeah, it is. I mean, you have to get comfortable with the fact that you've always got a lot of stuff to do. Um, I saw someone tweet recently about how they ticked off everything on their to-do list and it felt great. And I thought, oh, that would be amazing. Um, it's, it's, I think running a business is really difficult to ever be like, cool, done, I can sleep now. Um, a, a friend of mine who's been running a business for longer than we have said to me, you always have a list of three things, urgent, really important, needs to be done. And he was like, it's always like that. And they just, mm. your tasks shift between them and you just kind of have to get used to it. And, and enjoy it where you can and recognize that it's actually a great position to be in, to be busy mm. and, um, and enjoying what you do. So, I mean, you're a really, you're a really busy woman. You've got a lot going on. What would you, what, what are your tips for like time management? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm pretty poor in time management. I'll start something and then someone will call me and then someone will email me and I get a Slack message and then it's five o'clock and I, I still haven't finished that PowerPoint. I started at eight. Yeah. So you know, what, what's the tips on time management from you? So we both, my husband and I, we both read this book called Hyperfocus a while ago, and that actually um, really helped us. It's not, it doesn't tell you anything groundbreaking, but it just brings into perspective exactly what you've described. We all have so many things pulling us in different directions. And actually sometimes what we have to do is turn down the noise. So I don't have notifications on for most stuff. Um, so if people wonder why I take a while to get back to them on like Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. I don't have notifications on. Um, and I'm really strict with myself over like when I go in and when I don't. Um, and then it's, it's a case of what the priorities are. So at the end of every day, I will sit down and work out what are my absolute priorities for the next day. 
I often schedule stuff in my diary when I've got stuff to do. You know, I block out time like this is when I'm going to work on X, Y, Z proposals, whatever it might be. And then that helps me realize sometimes I literally just give myself way too much to do in a day. If I schedule it out and I work out like it'll take me this long to write a proposal, it'll take me that long to record a video, be like, oh, okay, I'm trying to do 40 hours work in one day. That's not possible. Let's work it out. So it's just kind of being disciplined with it, I guess. Boring answer, but yeah. yeah well no it's it's right i think discipline is is important um especially self-discipline and um going in self-discipline you, you've got a phd which is very very disciplined so let, let's let's wind back what you know let's talk about your first degree mm-hmm. um how did you find yourself there and then so you know your degree isn't necessarily technical or have yeah. any relation to cybersecurity in any manner uh, well cyber security so i've got to make that, that that very clear but yeah so let's talk about your first degree how did you get that get there sure so my first degree i studied in sheffield and i studied sociology and politics um so you say it's not about security <laughs> and we certainly didn't do a module or anything like that on security and if someone had said to me then oh you know give yourself a few years you'll be working in cyber security you like, what <laughs> what's that um but it, in my opinion, it should be a module. I mean, clearly, sociology and politics are heavily related to um, to security, but I didn't know it at the time. I picked sociology and politics because I did sociology A-level and I was good at it. Um, and I, I'm interested in people. And sociology is all about why people behave as they do and how they behave. So that seemed like a perfect choice. And at the time, I thought I might want to go into politics. So um, I did politics at the same time, did some work as an intern in politics and I enjoyed part of it, but I also realized this is not what I want to do as a career um, at all. And so I then worked in urban regeneration. Um, So I was by this point living in Liverpool and um, worked for the Northwest Development Agency on social inclusion projects really enjoyed it but then the opportunity came up to do a phd actually i've missed something out i did i was approached by the university i was doing some work with the university of liverpool uh, through the nwda and they said we've got some phd sponsorships coming up um might you want to apply so i applied i did an interview it's the worst interview of my life it was terrible so i want to mention it because it was a huge failure embarrassingly bad um so i was not accepted on that PhD but they said to me keep in touch maybe next year there'll be a topic it was for a specific topic and they were like maybe there'll be a a topic that will work better for you next year so I then did I did exactly that and um, I did a PhD in civic design which is um, kind of where town planning meets geography meets sociology it's sort of how spaces are shaped Um, did a PhD that I I loved about the kind of the growth of the internet economy and the influence of the internet economy on society. So not about security. Um, But I did loads of different interviews with all sorts of different types of people. Um, And 
that really instilled in me skills of how to talk to people, how to get information from different types of people. And then of course, a PhD teaches you loads of transferable skills. One of them being self-discipline, time management, how to communicate, um, how to do research and write it up. And at the end of that, I was not sure what to do. I knew I didn't want to stay in academia. I knew I didn't really necessarily want to stay in the field of civic design. And then I was really lucky. I was approached kind of through a friend of a friend who said, might you be interested in working in cybersecurity? So I Googled, what is cybersecurity? <laughs> I was like, and then I did loads of reading up and I was like, this is really fascinating. Um, so did a lot of reading, bit of training and, and then took the job and kind of haven't looked back for the last 10 years. What did you think about the industry at that point then when you started Googling? I, I'm, I'm, I've got so many questions to, to ask about what you talked about. It's fascinating your background there. And I think um, uh, I, I'm someone who's not been to university. Um, and so I always find it really interesting to understand people's educational kind of choices. Um, and then more importantly as well, um, exactly what you've spoken about politics sociology the human element the research uh, kind of skill set and mindset are all transferable skills across i guess a number of different industries um but align almost perfectly to cybersecurity as well um and it, it's amazing because when i uh, interview people for roles within infosec a lot of them say well i've got a master's in cybersecurity, or i'm studying a malware course or a, i'm doing my cisp and this that, and, that. and it's like oh perfect but actually what i'm interested in is like you know how can you uh you know relate with humans are you a good communicator um you know what how can you handle the political situations etc and, and what you've talked about there are really transferable skills which i i guess will be very very inspiring for people to hear about that you don't need that you know master course in cybersec or whatever um but uh, but yeah so i guess uh, anyway go back to my question i'm waffling now um the um the, the kind of state of the of the market of, or of the industry at the point where you started Googling, what did you see? What did you feel about it? And why did it kind of entice you in? That's a mixture of things. That's a, I've not really reflected on that for a while. So that's a great question for me. Um, I felt obviously it was very technical. So there was half of me thinking what on earth <laughs> like this is how does this all make sense for me and um stuff like that but i love learning so that was kind of a challenge that i quite enjoyed was trying to learn more about the technical side then at the same time um the government had just released uh, not long before i was looking right released one of their cybersecurity strategies so i could see this kind of whole policy element to it it was um, something that the government were kind of talking about at a higher priority so i could see that it was something that was sort of socially um, becoming recognized as being more important it was in the news more um, than it maybe had been kind of a few years before that. So there was breaches and things to read about. Um, and I kind of, it, it took a while in my first job for everything to start to fall into place. And obviously it was a huge learning curve, but as things started to fall into place, I realized like, oh, people are really important in all of this. And, um, and, and I also started to realize that my perspective sometimes on something for me that would seem super obvious everyone else that I was talking to in the room would be like oh I haven't thought mm. about that um so it took a while because sometimes we think everyone thinks like us it took a while for me to realize oh actually I do kind of bring something different to this 
that's like, fascinating. That's, that is fascinating, and I, I think um, I, I'll be I'll, I'll be really interesting to know. So you know, you talk about the human side a lot, and you've brought that to um, a li- you know, brought it more into this industry, and you're really pushing it into this industry. Um, but do you, you know when you speak to anyone about information security, it's always about the technical controls. Hmm. So when you are speaking to an organization, how do you move them away from actually, yeah, it's fantastic. You've got all these, you know, EDR and firewalls and next gen everything, but let's look at your people. How do you, how do you focus on that? So it was a lot more challenging when I first started out. Um, and particularly I would find even speaking to people sort of in the industry and I, you know, if you'd meet at a conference or whatever, I'd say, oh, I work on the human side. And they'd be like, what does that even mean? Um, and I do think we've had a, a shift over the last few years. Um, I mean, obviously there's been people working on the human side of security for a long time in academia, you know, a really long time. Um, but I think it's really been in the last few years that we've seen this more mainstream recognition that people are really important in this. And if you even just think of RSA this year, the theme was the human element, which I don't think it would have been a few years ago. Mm. Um, So it has become more recognized. And I find with clients, they usually come to us because they realize that they've done loads of stuff with the technical controls and that actually a lot of their issues are stemming in one way or another from the human side. And then within that, there is often quite a diversity. Some clients will be fairly mature with it and they will know what their issues are and what to work on. Others will be like, we know we need to do something with people, but we have no idea what Um, and everywhere kind of in between. So it's then just a case of, of really understanding the business. And if they don't get it, it's kind of talking to them about things like it might be their incident response. You know, when it comes to incident response, what do you have around comms? Who do you communicate with? How do you communicate with them? What's your PR response look like with that? When do you tell people internally? How do you tell them? When do you tell people externally? How do you tell them? Um, You know, when do you get, regulators or law enforcement involved you can ask kind of questions that make people realize oh okay none of that is technical that's all one way or another about people about the law about hr mm-hmm. about all of these other disciplines is, is there any kind of um kind of common factors then that you see you, you must deal with uh, a, a lot of different organizations as you said there with different scales of maturity um and probably different sizes and focus and budgets on on cyber security. Uh, is there any kind of like one thing that you wish they'd all do um, before you kind of get there uh, and and give them the advice and stuff? Is there any co- common traits that you see? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's probably quite a lot. I think the most common trait is that people don't know. So they don't know what their culture is like, or they have an idea, but they, it's not based on anything other than their assumptions. So if there's one thing I would encourage organizations to do when it comes to people is to try and put some measurement around it. We have a lot of measurement around the technical side of things, and we know that those metrics are not hundred percent. We accept that, um, that a lot of metrics are just our kind of best impression. When it comes to the human side, people are reluctant to accept that. Um, so they want metrics that are perfect, um, or they just don't understand what metrics to put in place. So that's what I would love to see organizations do is actually think about how can we measure some of this stuff? 
Because once you know what kind of culture you have, what are the values like, what are the behaviors like, how do they differ between different teams, um, then you're in a much stronger position to be able to do, for example, your awareness raising. What messages do you push out where? What language do you use? Um, what do you need to focus on? Which teams? How do you need to shape the messaging that might be different depending on your teams? It gives you that insight to your organization to be able to, to really do stuff that is going to make a difference. Mm. And do you find many businesses do that really, really well as well? Do you ever walk into kind of organizations and you're really impressed with uh, the kind of state of affairs or is it all kind of a bit of a car crash when is that the reason why your your company's involved it really varies to be honest it's amazing to me just how diverse it is there's a, a few clients we work with and their maturity on the human side is incredible um, and they're doing stuff that i think is is game changing when it comes to awareness behavior culture how to metric it how to understand it how to bring in other disciplines um, so some clients we work with will have people on the security team specifically to work on psychology or behavioral economics that's amazing mm. i would say they're not the norm um, most other organizations are trying in one way or another to catch up with that um, and some are, are far behind that again so it is very diverse at the moment mm. okay that, that that's that is interesting i've never I, I you know i've never seen an organization that 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 had anyone like that within their security culture so that is very interesting to take back I'd, I'd love to see that in more you know see how that actually works in practice yeah um so rolling back um a few years from when you started in the industry um as a female how did you feel starting in such a very male dominated world it's something again it, it kind of took me a while to notice like oh i'm the only woman again this is becoming a theme um so it's it, it yeah but also you know i came from academia which is quite male dominated particularly kind of the subjects that i was in um so to some extent you're sort of used to it um and then you start to realize there's not there's not many women i'm at this conference and there's no women on the agenda and oh mm. there's like three of us in the audience that's weird um and and then why, over why do you think that is then what, what do you think the kind of the main issues are around uh, engagement with uh, more, a more diverse population within InfoSec? I think it's really complicated. It's if I think back um, to me being at school and growing up, um, I never thought I would work in tech. And even when I, at school, me and my friends used to attend the like electronics club um, after school and built loads of stuff uh to i even i got i've got a certificate somewhere saying future tech leader of the northeast love it. I love it, um i should get it out and frame it yeah. um but i didn't it was like well no I'm, I'm gonna work with people and i didn't realize you could do both hmm. um so I think it comes from everything. If we look like, you know, I grew up in the 80s, you look at adverts for computers then, they're all very geared towards boys. Um, so there's these kind of subliminal messages, I think, in society. There's a lack of understanding or of passing the message on to people that actually you don't have to work in pure tech. 
I'm not saying, of course, girls don't work in pure tech and, and women don't, because of course they do. But I think something about communicating the diversity and giving girls confidence in tech as well. Um, it was something that I never thought I would be good enough at to do as a job. It was a hobby, mm. but it wasn't something I thought I was capable of doing as a job. If I had, who knows, I might have be working in a much more technical role now. <laughs> um, so I think that's I think that's part of it. And then I think role models make a big difference. It's partly why I try to be so engaged with outreach. Um, it's partly why I um, do try to have a fairly big uh, sort of public profile because I want girls like I was uh, to mm. see actually um, there are women in this industry. I do think sometimes when we keep saying oh, there's hardly any women working in cybersecurity. The message that we might be sending to girls is there's hardly any women here. So mm. you, might, you might not want to do it because you'll be on your own. So the great thing is we're seeing more girls studying yeah. it. You know, the NCSC have made huge bounds in terms of getting girls onto their cyber first stuff. I think we're seeing more women come through the industry and the stats reflect that. So I think the more women we get in the industry, the more it grows. And that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said earlier, I think it's not all about, well, I, I think uh, kind of demonstrating that those transferable skills, it's not all about learning how to, you know, be super technical and, you know, um, you know reverse engineer exploits and things like that. It's, you know, there's so, this it's such a vast landscape of opportunity within the industry. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I think, is, is do you see that kind of culture then of, uh, in the recruitment space with the uh, businesses that you work with uh, and the organizations that you uh, kind of interface with, I guess, through Club CISO, et cetera, are they kind of changing their mindset a bit about recruiting new talent? Are they looking at pipelines of younger talent in the school environment or is it more, you know, is, do you think that the kind of UK is still a little bit stuck in its ways of you have to have an IT security background to come and work in, in InfoSec, that kind of thing? One thing I do hear from CISOs and I've heard from CISOs at Club CISO is that sometimes they will have a challenge where they are open to having, um, you know, bring on new starters who don't have experience in directly in security or don't have certifications. Or, um, but sometimes they can be coming up against recruitment processes in their organization. Sometimes mm. they have to educate HR that actually we don't necessarily need all these certs. What we need is this particular mindset, this particular kind of attitude um, and someone who wants to learn. They can learn all of the, mm. you know, all of the skills that we need. Um, so sometimes there's a bit of a breakdown there between what the actual CISO and security team wants and what HR is putting on paper that they're looking for. It is being challenged and I think it is it is changing. We have found at Club CISO in our, we do a report every year, we survey our members and we found that one of the strongest places um, for new starters to come from is um, ex-army or ex-kind you know, um, of military and um, apprenticeships. So we are seeing much more kind of focus on, on bringing on apprenticeships and, um, and starting people who maybe don't have the background, but have the aptitude. Mm. I see that a lot in the US. I mean, certainly from the military side, the ex-military side, um, you haven't worked at a major bank in the US. 
a lot of the infosec population came from um you know were veterans and stuff and they, they bring such a rich insight into the frameworks and the maturity journeys and, and all the rest of it i think it's something that we haven't really embraced too much in the uk so it would definitely be good to see that kind of further uh, further advance i guess in our landscape i I'm, I'm really keen to know um i guess maybe without trying to put you on the spot but also we're putting you on the spot um <laughs> what what kind of uh what skills maybe like two or three key skills do you think are most important for someone who like you a few years ago googled what cybersecurity is and want to break into the industry what what skills do you think you should have in your locker when when you're applying that you can really demonstrate and talk about in interviews and stuff i think um wanting to learn is one of the most important things there is so much to learn in security and it does change quickly if you don't enjoy learning um then i think it's a more challenging um field to be in so i think enjoying learning new stuff enjoying a challenge is probably um one of the most important skills i think communication one way or another in security you're even if you're in a really technical role most of the roles you're communicating, even if that's, you know, report writing um, on doing a pen test or reverse engineering, whatever it may be. Um, but often you have to communicate with colleagues, team members, people throughout the business, the board. So communication skills are a big one and problem solving being able mm. to think about problems from a different perspective. And um, for some people that will be deeply, deeply technical. For others, it will more be thinking about what motivates someone, how can you incentivize them? What makes people malicious? Kind of thinking about problems like that from a more human perspective. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, really good, uh, good insights. Yeah, I and like I, I guess as well feeds into your book, right? Confident Cybersecurity, how to get started in cybersecurity, future-proof your career. So talk to us a little bit about what, what the process was like with writing. I've never written a book. That must be a fascinating exercise to go through and, and the marketing and the promotion and all the rest <laughs> of it around it, but also around the, the kind of content. What kind of, what kind of stuff can we expect then? Sure. So I was approached by the publishers, Kogan Page. They have a series of books that begin confident. So there's confident coding, confident web design, and they wanted to do confident cybersecurity for the first time. So it came out of the blue, um, an email one day asking me if I would be interested in having a chat about it. And it just seemed perfect because a lot of my work is about empowering people, is about helping them feel confident. And I'm, I am really passionate about outreach and helping people who want to be in the industry or are new to the industry progress. So the book is a kind of... A comp as much as one book can be, um, a comprehensive guide to the field. So I explain what cybersecurity is, um, why people are important. I delve into the technical side, the physical side. Um, I talk about some of the different roles in the industry. There's a chapter for board members, like what cybersecurity at the board level means. Um, a chapter on geopolitics and cyber war. Um, and I also profile different people in the industry to try and tell the stories of people from different backgrounds. And I also look at what security means for different industries. I think there can be a perception out there that security is for governments and for banks. Um, and people sometimes overlook the fact that pop stars and movie stars and footballers and journalists and social media influencers all need 
good security as well. So I kind of tackle the diversity of security in that element as well. That's fascinating. I'm really excited. Yeah. So it comes out next Thursday, I think, right? 10th of September. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Gonna be really interesting read. Yeah. 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 I'm excited slash terrified about it coming out, <laughs> um, which if anyone else, you know, anyone who's written a book will know how that feels. It, um, it took a lot of time and a lot of headspace to write it, you know, alongside running the business. Mm. Um, I had had back surgery just before I started writing it. And as someone who hadn't had back surgery before, I thought, oh, in my recovery, I'll just, just <laughs> ash out a book. Okay. Uh, it wasn't quite that straightforward. Um, but yeah, so a lot of late nights, a lot of long weekends. Um, but I really. Did you have a how does it work then? Did it give you a deadline to write it or write? Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. I had an amazing um, editor. Um, so shout out to Rebecca Bush. She was brilliant and um, lovely. Um, and we, we set milestones, you know, of when I was going to send her certain chapters. She reviews them, comes back to me with any questions or anything. And then you have a deadline for like the final thing. And mine was basically Christmas. So um, I was busy in the run up to Christmas. Yeah. Sorry to everyone that got yeah. rubbish presents because I was too busy with my book. Um, you just get a copy of your book next year for Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love it. Yeah, that must be really weird having like your, uh, you know, submitting. I mean, like I write blogs and stuff like that. Where I mean, I don't. If I'm honest, I don't really care what people think. But when you, I guess when you put a book together like someone's reviewing this before it goes live. You, I guess it's like giving your homework to the teacher, isn't it, kind of thing? It is. I think this is why I wanted to kind of acknowledge my editor because she made me feel very at ease straight away and I trusted her completely from the start. So it actually felt, I think I'm really lucky that I had someone that I mm. immediately developed that relationship with. Um, and so it felt very easy to do that with her. Um, and I knew we were both focused on the same thing, which is trying to get the book in the best shape possible. But it's, it's you know, when you write a blog post, you know you can always edit it. You know yeah. that if, if it comes out, that actually the details- Or take it down. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, that never existed? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't do that with, with this. But because I'd done a PhD and um, it's not the same as writing a book, but it's similar, you come out with a, a, an end result that is essentially a book. I kind of had been through that process before. So I think that helped me. Mm. Do you think there's more in the locker there? Do you think there's another a bit of a pipeline? I love it. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually, for a few years, I've had an idea of a different book that I haven't uh, had the time for. So maybe now this one's done, I'll move on to the next. But I also um, am co-authoring a book that's due out fairly soon um, about awareness, behavior, and culture um, with Bruce Hallis, Kieran McMahon, and Adrian Davies. So I've done a few chapters with that as well. Um, so that one's coming soon. And then I'm sure that I'm sure there'll be others. Wow. Hopefully. Your LinkedIn bio is going to have everything. You've not <laughs> enough space. You have to ask for a feature request. I mean, I think it's fantastic that you just got an email saying, do you want to write a, write a book? I mean, my emails are full of spam. So, I mean, that's fun. That's fantastic. How did, that, you know, <laughs> how did you get um, such, how did you uh, grow your profile? You know, how did you get to this? How did you get to this point? Because I know a lot of people in information security will say, your public profile is everything. So, so how did you do it? 
Yeah, it's true. It is something, it's one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to people who are new to the industry um, is start a blog, you know, or do a podcast, do videos, um, share what you are learning and your perspective on things. And even if you think, well, there's been hundreds or thousands of people before me who know this stuff. It really doesn't matter. You don't have to be an expert to share your perspective. And as long as you don't, you know, pretend you're an expert, just share what you're learning, what you find interesting. And that's essentially what I did. Um, I just started, you know, putting in um, call for papers at uh, essentially a lot of the like hacker conferences, B-sides and SteelCon and stuff like that to talk about the human side. Um, I was actually approached uh, the first couple of times that I did speak at conferences, I was approached by the organizers. Um, so Brian Honan, IrisCon um, and the team at B-sides Manchester um, I think because I was fairly active on social media and because I was sharing stuff about the human side and there wasn't as many sort of conference presentations or anything about that side of things then. Um, so they got in touch kind of saying, running this conference, do you want to come along and speak? So I'm really grateful that they did that. It shows that actually when you encourage someone, it, it can give them a bit of confidence to go and do it more. And that's what happened with me. Um, I would never have expected that I would be talking about my work on TV. You know, if I go back before I worked in this industry, if I go back to me at school, <laughs> um, the first presentations I did at university where I would be terrified. I was terrified of public speaking months before I would have to do a presentation in front of 10 people. I would, you know, be hardly able to sleep thinking about it. Um, and so I just got used to doing that more and more and more. And then somehow now I'm in this position where I do it. I, I get paid to do a lot of that stuff and I absolutely love it. So feel the fear and do it anyway is a lot of it. So is, I love that. is, is your yeah. confidence through um, practice or have you had formal media training? So it's a bit of both. I, um, I, was there was a uh, I'm trying to think the first TV I did I'd applied to the BBC for they were running like an expert women training day um if you wanted media training so I applied thinking no chance um and they accepted me and then because it was at this I was so lucky it was at this perfect time where security was more and more in the media um so before I'd done the training they were actually getting in touch saying we're doing this feature on cybersecurity. will you talk about it nice um the training was great you know it was a day where i got to go to media city um in salford and kind of practice um being on camera and, uh, and meet loads of other women um who are experts in a total variety of fields um and then from there it was just kind of just doing it more and more um and i think when you get an opportunity if you want to do it, but you're too scared to do it, forcing yourself to do it. You know, if it's something you want to do, then forcing yourself out of your comfort zone is my best advice for growing confidence. That's brilliant. There's a lot of um, a lot of great uh, insights there that we can definitely share with um, with our audience. I think uh, it's so impressive um, to, uh, and inspiring, I guess, to hear you talk about, you know, your fears, you know, in, in you're, you're in school and you're in university, et cetera, being nervous about presenting and, and looking at how you how well you present now. 
um it, it's uh, it is very inspiring to see that that kind of journey and as Ashley mentions as well you're following you've got what 16,000 followers on Twitter uh and counting uh obviously an enormous following on on LinkedIn etc um what's been the key then what, what's the underlying key to that success of growing that following um where did so it Again, I remember when I first started using Twitter, a friend convinced me to use it. And I remember her explaining to me what a hashtag was. Um, and I remember feeling, seeing people with huge followings and I couldn't get, I remember really well not being able to get to a hundred and feeling like I'm never going to get more than a hundred followers. Um, and yeah, so it amazes me um, that I've got um, a, a sort of a, a nice following now. I think the key is to share what genuinely interests you, what you find interesting, um, because that is something sustainable and that is something natural. If you try, from my experience anyway, if you try to engineer it, um, I think that must be a lot more hard work. Um, so from the start, I just shared stuff that I found interesting, you know, shared research I came across, shared articles I liked. Um, the other thing that I um, sort of focus on on social media is, is being positive. I'm a naturally positive person. And for me, I like to put out positivity, you know, rather than sort of tearing other people down. Mm -hmm. um, I like to try and amplify other people i like to try to kind of cultivate that more supportive um, and positive approach to to social media cool fantastic one yeah, of my that. last my last questions before we uh, close up here is uh, i read i read on a previous article you talked about there's no chart of success um within the industry is it you know how do you feel about that that we always focus on the negatives with on the breaches on the hacks, on the people losing data and, and, and the amount of fines people get. Do you think that the media sensationalizes that or, you know, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. I was talking about this on a webinar yesterday. It's, I think it's, it is partly natural in security. We always are going to look at the failures. We're always going to look at the things that go wrong. Um, that one time out of a hundred where there's a flaw, where we didn't catch something where, you know, a mistake was made or someone was malicious. That's our job. So we have to do that. At the same time, it can skew our perspective um, to be more cynical and to not recognize the positives. So yeah, so that's why I started to put together a kind of list of milestones to really show that actually the cybersecurity community, we've made huge progress in a very short space. We're a young profession and we're dealing with a massively complicated, really quickly evolving problem or set of problems. Um, so we can feel sometimes disheartened. But when you look at the progress that we have made, um, both technically and with people, we've done a lot to move forward. And it's important we recognize that because I think not recognizing it can be a factor in burnout, in stress, in imposter syndrome. Um, if we feel like we're never making progress, then it can be hard to stay motivated. So it's good to recognize we've made a lot of progress. This is why spear phishing emails have got so much better because we've made everyone more savvy about phishing emails. So the attackers now, you know, they'll always evolve um, and we have to evolve with them, but we need to recognize that we are making progress as we do that. Amazing. Wonderful. 
Well, listen, Jess, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for all of your uh, fascinating insights that you've given us today. So if, if I'm honest, we could keep going and going here and, and never let you go. But I think uh, <laughs> I, I'm really excited to to get my hands on the book uh, and, and also to see what else uh, you publish going forward. So thank you for sharing that, um, uh, that with us. Um, and we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Jess. It's been a pleasure. Thanks both. One of the biggest pieces of advice I give to people who are new to the industry um, is start a blog, you know, or do a podcast, do videos, um, share what you are learning and your perspective on things. And even if you think, well, there's been hundreds or thousands of people before me who know this stuff, it really doesn't matter. You don't have to be an expert to share your perspective.